Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm grateful to be here and grateful to see every one of you. Uh, like, like, like Pastor Rocky said, Pastor Brian is on uh, a needed vacation today, and so we are, uh, you and I are together. And so we're going to try to get through this, and we are still in our series called You Pick. And if you're new here this morning, You Pick was a series where we took some cards uh, over a span of a couple of months, and we allowed you to pick the topics. We, we let you, whether it was a topic or a question or whatever it may be, um, some, it wasn't really a question or a topic, it was just advice. <laughs> and so we... Uh, we, we, we have all those cards, we still have them in the office, and we have them kind of broken down into topics and things like that, and we try to pick the, the, the ones that were really the, the ones that had the most, and we're working through those. Now we're, start, we're kind of getting into the, 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 the individual, individual things. So today, our, our question is, it's actually a very common question. I've, I've, I've been asked it uh, uh, before. Uh, at, I, I was a stock manager at Foot Locker, and I worked with a guy who was very interested in Christianity, though he was not very interested in becoming a Christian. Uh, he, he liked to ask a lot of questions. He liked to talk about it. But when you started getting down to the nuts and bolts of his life, that's where it kind of stopped. And so um, we, we, we never got really beyond that. But he, he asked this question to me uh, several times, actually, and it's a tough question. In fact, there are parts of it that are impossible. You're going to leave here today absolutely dissatisfied because it is, it is something that we can not answer, uh, especially the way the question was posed. And that was part uh, of the issue a little bit. Let me read it to you so, so you can have it. It's a great question. I'm not demeaning the question in any way. It's a fantastic question. But the way it was asked is, is it makes it almost impossible. It says this, if God is almighty, then why does he allow people to suffer? If God is almighty, then why does he allow people to suffer? Why is life so tough? And we're here in America, man. And uh, as tough as it can be, man, if you've never stepped out of these borders, you ought to. It's hard outside these borders, man. I've been to several countries, third world countries, been there for, spent three months in one. And uh, man, you come back with a new perspective, but at the end of the day, it's universal. Suffering, whatever it may look like for you, for me, for them, it's universal. It's a great question in that light. The problem is the question assumes that I know what God is thinking, and I don't. In fact, God says that about himself. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, he says this, he said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I, I cannot answer for you today specifically why you suffer. Specifically. Why God has chosen that, why somebody has passed away, why somebody is sick, why something continually keeps happening to you, why, why, why that happens, I, I cannot answer that for you, man, and I am sorry for that. I wish I could, man. 
I wish I could come and, and have all the answers on that front because it would be uh, very helpful for you. Man, it would be helpful for me if I knew why I suffered. It would be very helpful. So I, 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 I give you just a simple, I, I don't know. I don't know why those things happen, man. But there is hope. Because you can definitely know, I think, some things about your suffering. I do. I think you can kind of get on the right path, and there have been things in my life where I have suffered, and I have come to the reason why I did that, why that happened to me. And God can take you on that journey, and I, I, I think that we can, we can answer that question a little bit this morning. If the question was, why is there suffering, and we ended it right there, the 30,000-foot answer for that is, is fairly manageable, and it's this, sin. Man, that's why we struggle. That's why life is, is difficult. The Bible makes it very clear that every one of us sins. Every one of us. No matter how great you are, no matter how fantastic you are, no matter how moral you think you are and, 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 and whatever goes on in that way, you are a sinner. And it also says this in the Bible. I learned it this way. Uh, I grew up uh, under the King James version of the Bible, the old English version of the Bible, so I learned it this way. It says this in Proverbs 13, 15. It says this, the way of the transgressor, sinner, is hard. Sin makes life hard. Not just your own sin, but sin in general has marred this world has marred our thinking, has made things hard. So when we see things like death, and we see things like cancer, and we see that stuff, it should make us hate sin. We should hate it with everything that we are. I should hate my sin. I struggle with that. Sin is why this world is the way it is, and it culminates uh, in death, as Romans 6.23 says, it says this, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin, it only pays this. That's all sin's going to pay you with, is death. That's all it's going to give you. That's, all it's gonna, that's the only place it's going to take you. That's, it, it, when it's into the road, that is why. And so I, 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 I think that, that you probably have a sense of that. If you've been around the church any time at all, you probably have a, a, a sort of a sense of that. So I guess the question now is, why do I suffer? What are, what are some reasons that I suffer? Why have I experienced the things I've experienced? Because sometimes maybe you do know why. Maybe it's choices you've made. Maybe it's things that have gone on, but maybe some parts of it are a mystery, things that you've not done. And, and here's the problem. There's two mistakes that happen. When you and I get into this, this thought of suffering, I, I've seen two mistakes. There's a lot of mistakes that happen. But there's two mistakes and two things that happen with our pain uh, that, that go on. We actually see them in the Bible, but we see them in, in normal everyday life. And the two things are this. Number one is this, is that, that we moralize it. We moralize it, meaning this. This is what I mean by that. We, we tend to think that if I'm struggling in some way, it's probably because of something I've done. That, that God's not going to, he, he's upset with me somehow, he has, uh, 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 this is what's going on. Now, it is true, sin has consequences. I don't want to shirk over that like that's not a truth. If you blow all your money on alcohol, you, you could end up in poverty, you could end up 
uh, with some disease uh, like, like cirrhosis or something like that. You could experience loneliness. You could suffer because of your choices. If you blow all your money that way, it, it does happen. There is a reaping and sowing of the Bible, but, but often there's a situation we get into where, where sometimes we just think that people are struggling because of this or there's something in their life that we're not seeing. In, in the book of Job, we see that. If you don't know the book of Job, it's about a man who suffers. We'll actually touch on it today. But, but he had some friends, and, and they, they were really good friends, really great friends, until they opened their mouth. They sat there with him for seven days and just sat there and wept with him. And then they opened their trap. And what happened was they started waxing eloquently in their theology and explaining what he's got, he has to have going on in his life uh, that's hidden from them, that's causing all this suffering and calamity. When we know there was nothing in his life. So we, we, we tend to moralize it. This, this, is, this is the problem, man. It's, it's a huge problem. And, and, and God is not a cosmic scorekeeper. Man, he's not up there marking things against you and marking things against you. The Bible just does not point to that kind of God. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the students probably get tired of me quoting that verse, but that is one of the, the, the best verses in my life, that, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that, that, that God is, is not keeping tabs. Man, in fact, he's forgetting sin, Jeremiah 31 tells us. He's forgetting it. What I can't forget, he can't remember, it says. That's awesome. The second thing is this, we, we, we minimize it. We minimize our suffering. And man, we see this too often. We see this in our conversations with each other. Uh, uh, if you have a loved one that, that maybe passed away or something, somebody may say something trite like, um, well, death's just the natural part of life. Ah, just, it happens to all of us, man. It's just, it was their time. And we minimize that suffering in a way. Or even worse, and you may have known these people, when you're talking about your own struggle and your own something going on in your life, the pain you're experiencing, and then somebody pops off with like what they're experiencing, and it's like they're one-upping you. And you're like, oh yeah, you had the gout? <laughs> they're taking off their shoe, let me show you what I got going on. <laughs> right? This happens, man. This happens all too frequently. We have this one-upsmanship that, that, that about suffering. They're like, oh, let me encourage you with my own suffering. To make you feel better how bad I've suffered. And it doesn't make you feel better, man. It, minimi it minimalizes it. It makes it feel like it's not that significant when it is, at least to you. And that needs to be validated. This happens all too often. And so we're going to look at this today in, in a healthy way. Those are some negative ways that things happen. And I think the scriptures point to, to very healthy things that, that, that happen. Now, I'm not going to say they're easy. But they are a way that perhaps we can wrap our minds around suffering this morning. And we can wrap our minds around it. We can see maybe, perhaps, what God's purposes are in what you're going through, what you have gone through, what somebody you know is going through, what you will go through because you're on planet Earth. So there are purposes that God has for the things that you're experiencing in your life. And the first thing I want to hit is this. Number one, it could be for repentance. Repentance. Suffering, whether yours or someone around you, could be a call for you to turn away from this present world and turn to God. That, that could be exactly what's going on. Jesus is confronted in the book of Luke 
with people who, who ha- they want some answers, and they're always trying to kind of trap Jesus a little bit, and they bring up this, this topic of suffering, actually, and his response is very telling. In Luke chapter 13, verse, uh, verse 1, it says this. In, in Luke, I'll get on here. It says this. Uh, maybe I didn't have, I'm sorry, it, it might have been my fault on that. It says this. Now there were some present at the time that, who, uh, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So They've heard news that Pilate has killed people. Shocker. He was part of the ones that killed Jesus, right? He tried to let him go, but it wasn't happening, so he didn't stop it. So he, he's saying that, that, that Pilate did something pretty bad, and he, he mixed the blood here, and there was some, some, some things that happened. This is the news of the day. And Jesus said this. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? He says, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or, and, and this is what Jesus brings this up, he says those 18 who died in the tower of Siloam when it fell on them. So apparently there was this tower and it had a horrible collapse, sort of like what we're seeing in Florida in recent days. This horrible collapse and it killed 18 people. And he says, do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Repent. There are times that God uses suffering as an, as a, as an opportunity to repent, and repent is just a $5 word that means to turn around. It's not an overly spiritual word. It means to turn, and there's, there's two parts to it. It doesn't mean just to turn away from something, but it means to turn away from something to something else. It's purposeful. You're not just walking away from sin, you're turning to Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling these people. You need to turn to me. Unless you do it, the same thing's gonna happen to you. It may not be the Tower of Siloam, but it will be something else. So life with me is better. Repent. Turn. Turn around. And that could be exactly why you're going through what you're going through is because God is trying and pleading to get your attention. Turn from your sin, man. Leave that junk behind. Let Jesus take that. That that could be why. Turn to Jesus. The next thing is this, reliance. Reliance. So we have repentance and now reliance. There are times where suffering is used to deepen your faith, to, 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 to knock the stuff off that, 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 that no longer needs to be there, to deepen your faith in Jesus instead of this world, that you stop relying on the things that you think are going to work and you start relying on the things that God said would work. Deepening your faith, trusting that his word is true, that the Bible sits before us today really different than everything that we are. And when we look at it, sometimes we think like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work. Things like forgiveness. You know, we'd rather hold on to that. Hold on to, to guilt and hold on to, to shaming people. But, but Jesus is saying, man, forgiveness is the way to go. There are things in here that are perfect and he, sometimes God is causing us to struggle because he's trying to say, man, you need to turn away from that stuff and you need to, to get into the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says this. 
It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. But the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, about the, province, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. They were done, man. They were ready to die. We despaired of life itself. We did not want to go any farther. We did not want to even go out the door. Because what if something else happened? That's what Paul's saying. He says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. I like that he attached that to the, bot, to the back of that sentence. He didn't just say, uh, uh, rely on God. He says, God who raises from the dead. Because you and I, that's a pretty incomplete thing for us, right? Like, once somebody dies, we are like, it stops there for us. And he wants you to know, no, nah, man, God can raise from the dead. He is that powerful. He is that God who can do those things. So if he can bring life back to that which no longer has life, then what is it to turn your circumstance around? What is that? That's easy. That's what Paul is resting in, that if God can do something like that, then he can totally, totally turn our circumstances around. We get into trials or we get into pain because God is helping and and really pleading with us to look another direction, namely up. You may be going through what you're going through so that you will rely on God. That you will rely on him instead of yourself because obviously yourself's not helping out. Rely on God. Third thing, righteousness. They're all ours. Isn't that special? Repentance, reliance, righteousness, it says this. Sometimes we, we, we go through what we're going through because God is bringing us back into a right relationship with him. The first one we were talking about had to do with, with those who are without. Now we are talking about those who are Christians but have let their lives get out of whack. Easy to do, right? Super easy to do. Sometimes he's trying to bring you back, back into a relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 12 has a lot to say about this. I'm going to read you a few verses from it. I'll start in verse 6, uh, and I'm going to read verse 6 and 10 and 11. He says this, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. We discipline those that we love, right? Like, I, I make it my business to discipline my children, not because I hate them, because I don't like to do it, right? Last thing I want to get into a fight is, is, with, is in a fight with a little version of myself, right? No, I do it because I love them, man. I don't want them, I want them to choose right. I want them to be uh, uh, right in this thing. And this is exactly how God looks at us. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And it says this, verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while as, uh, as they thought best. And God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. One, one comforting thing in a Christian's life, I hate to tell you, 
is trials. Because it means God's working. It could absolutely mean God's working. If I've allowed my life to drift, it could happen. I, I can honestly tell you, I have experienced this. I went through a season of my life, and Kayla can attest to it, that I, was, I had something going on, and I don't know what, what was going on. There's all kinds of stuff uh, that had to do with some, some, some struggles and then also some sleeplessness. And she'll tell you right now that, like, sleeplessness is not a problem for Gary. Like, if I stood here long enough, still enough, I'd fall asleep right here. No problem. Some of y'all know that right now. I can see it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but I was struggling, man. And, I, and so I, I started going in and getting all these tests done, all these tests where I had to drink this barium and I had to go stand with this lead vest in front of this thing. And then there were some other unpleasant things that, that normally people older than me had to do and I had to do those things. And, and there was some stuff going on, man. And uh, we got through it all. And she could tell you, man, I had some bills for this stuff. I was doing test after test. And I finally got to my, really the last stitch ever because every test was coming back. You're great, man. Healthy as a horse. And the last guy, you're laughing already because you know, the last guy told me, and I, I'm, I'm using his words, and I know some of you are in the medical profession, and that's awesome. Watch how you talk to people. He told me, <laughs> it could be fat pains. He said fat pains to me. And I was like... I was like, are you kidding? Like, I, I sit there like, he's like, you just need to kind of watch, you know, you're, you're, you're no longer young. You need to kind of get out there and get active. And he says, you need to get a hobby. And this was the diagnosis for my life. This was it. I was done. I was suffering from fat pains and needed to get a hobby. All those tests, and that's where I was. It didn't take long before I had to stop looking for physical remedies and start to realize that it was a spiritual problem. It had nothing to do with it. I was healthy physically. Spiritually, I was a mess. I played the game, man. I do it a lot. I play the game a lot. Um, you can play the part of a great Christian uh, because all people really normally hear is your words and they see you for you know, 10 minutes at a time but they don't really see your full life. And so they see a good little Christian, but it's not always there. Matthew chapter five, or 15, verse 8 says this. Jesus says this. He said that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's as frequent as the day is long. That's a very common thing. People honor God with their lips, but their hearts are not even in the stratosphere of where he's at. And you will suffer for that. Do you know why? Because God is good. He doesn't want you out away from him. He wants you as close as we can possibly get. At whatever cost that means. It was a spiritual problem, man. It wasn't. I mean, it probably was some fat. God used the fat pains to, to get me back, but that was it, man. 
This, this, that's a very, I think that's probably the most common thing in the church, at least, probably one of the most common things. People suffer, and they just don't, they don't realize that maybe we've not taken the, the proper inventory of our lives, and we've kind of let it get out of whack, and we just kind of come to church and do our thing, serve and teach our classes, or go to youth group or whatever, and all the while we're just honoring with our lips, but our hearts are far from it. Fourth thing is this. We got repentance, reliance, righteousness is reward. This one seems a little counterintuitive, but it's what the Bible teaches. It says this suffering is working for us a reward in heaven. Uh, God, God takes it personal. He knows you're struggling. He knows it's there. And for some reason, he says, I'm going to make up for every loss you've ever had, man, and then some. There is something about our struggle that makes that makes heaven sweeter, it makes heaven better, it makes those days, maybe that's a grace in and of itself, that I'm not, uh, that I'm ready when the time comes, at times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, for our light momentary troubles, he's not being um, rude there, he's saying that in the light of God and eternity, he calls them light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Man, I know it's, it's some of you have dealt with stuff that I, I, man, I hope I don't deal with, quite honestly. But Paul is telling us, man, that it is light and it is momentary because, man, all eternity sits before us. And we will know God's goodness exceedingly more than we know it now. There is a reward waiting for us on the other side. And, and we need to know that. And it, it, it matters how we suffer. I, I think it matters now, too, though. I, I think we can suffer properly, if not even for our own sake, for the sake of others. Recently, I, I, I don't really watch this show, but I did see it on social media or somewhere where... Um, on America's Got Talent, there was a young woman, she was probably about 30, I guess, and um, they brought her up to sing, or she came up to sing. Her name was Jay, uh, Jane uh, Marchewski, but she went by the, the, the stage name of Nightbird, and um, she sung this song called It's Okay, and it became, two days later, the top song on iTunes, which that's a big deal. It became the top song on iTunes, and uh, that means people are buying it, uh, and so that, that's a good thing. But what, what, what we found out was that the backdrop of this song was that she has cancer. And she's most likely, if God doesn't intervene, she's not going to make it. She had cancer. She kind of got out of, uh, went into remission. She had breast cancer, went into remission. But then all of a sudden it's back and it's everywhere. Spine, liver. Doesn't look good for her. Um, but even though her prognosis is terrible her her outlook is phenomenal and if you'll if you look into her a little bit NBC because they're NBC is, is not going to research the other side of this they're, they're kind of going from the humanitarian side of this but there is a thing that she's relying on and namely it's God in her life she says this in her blog she says when it comes to pain God isn't often in the business of taking it away instead he adds to it in a good way. He, he is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds the light. He doesn't spare me my thirst. He brings me 
the water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe that in pain it must be God that is far? She, she sees that God is, is showing himself in a way that only he can in struggle. You will not know God fully without the struggle. I was with a pastor for 12 years at a church. I was there for, for about 14, but about 12 years, um, he had pancreatic cancer. They gave him, he had a slow-growing kind, so they gave him about two years to live. Uh, so I, and I kind of knew that going in. And really my mindset was I want to help this church in this time as he kind of struggles. Well, God, God didn't have time for that kind of thinking. He lived for 12 years. And we, we did a lot of good things uh, in and around that town. And, and, and God saw some, some huge things happen. And I got to see a man who suffered well. And I will tell you this, man, that I can look at that man's life and I can think to myself, my goodness, God is good. Despite his cancer, God is He's good. And so I, I, I look at that, and I think this is what Paul was going after in Romans 8, 28, when he says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God or are called according to his purpose, that God is doing a work, man. No matter what, he's, he's at work in your life. He's at work in my life. And we need, to, we need to remember that because there is a reward. And I don't think just a reward, there is a reward in glory, but I think there's a reward now that we can know God better than we've ever known God through our suffering if we choose not to waste it. Fifth thing we're done is reminder. Repentance, reliance, righteousness, reward, and reminder. God uses suffering to remind us that God sent his own son into this world to suffer. So suffering would not be God's con uh, uh, condemnation, but his purification. That God, God is using this. He says this. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, I want to know Christ. That was what Paul wanted for his life, man. I want to know Christ. I would say probably we want that. Like I would say that I want to know Christ. I want to know him in a way that only the Spirit could reveal him. But listen to this. He says this. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. But listen to what he says here. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says you can't know Jesus without know, knowing suffering. It's going to be there. It is part of of who Christ was. If I'm going to be like Christ, if I want to be like Jesus, it's not all love and sunshine and unicorns. In fact, there's no unicorns. I hate to break your heart. Isaiah 53, 3 tells us this about Christ on earth. It gives us a little bit of a sense of who he was. And he says this. He says, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was friends with it. Because grief was always around. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He knew it, man. This is, this, is, this is a look into who Jesus was. How he thought, how he felt on earth. So guess what? If I'm going to know Jesus, I'm going to have to run into situations where there's going to be sorrow and I'm going to be a friend of grief because that's part of knowing him. It's part of that. 
we will experience suffering, each one of us, and it's a universal experience. And, and when this happens, it will help us to remember that Christ suffered, and this furler identified him with us. And so as we wrap up this morning, James uses a, an odd encouragement. He, he, he says this. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have preserved, or persevered, I'm sorry, persevered. You have heard of Job's uh, perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He brings up this dude, Job. And this is where I kind of leave those five things. I read those five, I gave you those five things. You can filter that through your own struggles and think, is any of one of these things helpful to me right now? And if you get through them and they're not, I got my boy Job. And this is what happened in his life. Job is a book about suffering as we finish. Personal, intense suffering. We know more about Job's situation than Job knew about his situation. It's interesting because God allows us to see this. If you don't know this, Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, if not the oldest book in the Bible. And it's a story about a man who experienced loss of property, loss of family, loss of health, all in very quick time. I mean, complete loss. We, at one point, we just see him sitting on ashes that used to be a, a place where his kids lived, and he just was picking at himself with pottery, boils that had appeared on his body. God restores it back to him. He gives him everything back, and then some. He adds to it, gives him more than he ever had. That's the end of the story. Isn't that great? But there's more. Because I wish I could tell you uh, that, that if you persevere through suffering, you know, you're going to get everything back and then some. And, and you will to some degree in heaven. But on this earth, I can't tell you that. I can't promise you that. But that's not the point of Job. I'll tell you why Job exists, man. Let me read it to you real quick as we finish. In the land of Uz, there lived a man who was named Job. This man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. And he had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. And he was, and he had a large number of servants, and he was the greatest man among all the people of the east. And his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite them, uh, their three sisters to eat, drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, this is kind of showing you Job's character a little bit. Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. And thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so this is Job's regular custom. Always trying to watch out for his family. This guy, this is a dude right here. One day, and the Bible just shifts here. All of a sudden, we shift from good dude Job to all of a sudden, man, celestial celestial openings here in heaven. We get to see heaven. Isn't that awesome? It says this, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. See, if you think that God has an arch nemesis, he does not. You are sorely mistaken. Satan came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? 
And Satan answered the Lord, he says, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks, his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything uh, he has is in your power, but do not lay a finger on the man. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Then, then, then that happened. All this stuff happened to Job. But did you see it? This is what Job didn't see. This is what the text tells us, but Job didn't know. That a challenge went out in the halls of heaven. And Satan said this. He only loves you because you hook him up. He only loves you because of the stuff you give him. If you take all that away, they only love you because of that. You're a joke. And God said, then go for it and see. And now we shift from from struggle and suffering, not being about any of those five things that we talked about, but now all of a sudden the chief thing of suffering is worship. And perhaps what you're going through this morning and have gone through in your life has little to do with you. But it has to do with a challenge that has gone out in the halls of heaven. And God has said, have you considered my servant, Gary? And Satan has said, dude, he only likes you because you hook him up like a tow truck. He only likes you because you, 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 you've, you've, you've just kind of kept him safe in his little, his little bubble. But you pop that bubble and he'll hate you for it. And God said, go ahead. And the battle for worship has begun. And maybe your only reason you're suffering right now is so that you will worship God in a way that you could not have worshipped him before. In a way that Job absolutely did. Look at Job 20, or Job chapter 1, verse 20 says this. At this time, after all this stuff happened to Job, Job got up, tore his robes, shaved his head, and then he fell on the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the, may the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe you're going through what you're going through because worship's on the line. And so I would challenge you this morning to raise your hands And to worship in a way that only a suffering person can. Knowing that God is good. He is good. He is good. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for all you do for us. I'm so grateful for your great grace in our lives. Man, I pray for people in here. I know there's a lot of stories in here that are substantial in their suffering. There are people who are dealing with things well, like I said before, I quite frankly, I hope I don't have to deal with them, Father. I don't know if you've made me that strong as a man to do that. But I pray for them. 
And I pray that you'll help them. I pray that you'll help them filter through the five things we talked about. Perhaps one, something there is, is, is something they can resonate with. But if it's not, if they still can't pinpoint exactly why they're struggling, perhaps. I'm not saying it's a, it's a foregone conclusion, but perhaps. Perhaps worship is the chief thing they need to do in their life. When Job worshiped and it didn't come all at once, it came through many questions and you coming down to remind him who exactly you are on this planet. Asking him questions like, who, where was he when you made the stars? And where was he when you made the oceans? And he just had to sit here and listen to, to 70 questions about who he is and where we were when all this was going on. Because the answer is, nowhere. That this great God, you great God, have been around forever. And it would do us well to remember that. But yet, you, great God, have thought enough of us to create us, to thoughtfully make each one of us, to give each one of us a, a, even a spiritual gift that, that once we're, uh, we put our trust in you, that we get this thing that's to, to aid people around us, to make us uh, the church look like the body of Christ in our community. We pray that you'll, you'll help us to understand you, great God, and that maybe we just need to simply worship you this morning in our suffering. I pray that you'll help these folks. I don't want to make this trite this morning. Their suffering may be great. All suffering is to some degree. So I pray that you'll just help them and comfort them with anything you can this morning. That's my prayer, Lord. We love you, your son's precious and holy name. Amen.